depending on the headlines you're reading, you're either hearing that Sheikh Jarrah is an illegal land grab by Jewish settlers, an ethnic cleansing of Palestinians by Israel, or the eviction of illegal squatters in a private property dispute, Jews reclaiming a neighborhood that's always been rightfully theirs. But everyone seems to be in agreement on one thing. The fate of this neighborhood has become a flashpoint moment for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Hi, I'm Avi Posen. And I'm Sarah Himmelis. This week we're unpacking the history and the present of Sheikh Jarrah. We'll break down the politics, emotions, and legality of what is actually happening in the neighborhood. All right, so let's start from the beginning. Sheikh Jarrah is a predominantly Palestinian neighborhood in East Jerusalem, roughly one mile or two kilometers away from the old city. Currently, 3,000 people call the neighborhood home. But now, let's dive into the history. Like basically every place in Israel, this neighborhood is old. Historians say that there has been a Jewish presence in Sheikh Jarrah for thousands of years, living near the tomb of Shimon Hatzadik, also known as Simeon the Just, who was a Jewish high priest back in the 3rd century BCE during the time of the Second Temple. Fast forward around 2,000 years to 1875. The land is now owned by local Arabs, and the Sephardic Community Committee and the Ashkenazi Assembly of Israel purchased the tomb of Shimon Hatzadik and the surrounding compound. Remember that detail because it's going to come back. Let's skip ahead a few more years to the 1900s. In 1905, an Ottoman census that included Sheikh Jarrah and its surrounding areas found 97 Jewish families living in the area, along with 167 Muslim and six Christian families. Forty years later, following Israel's War of Independence in 1948, what we now call East Jerusalem fell on the Jordanian side of the new border, and the Jordanians expelled the Jewish population from the entire area, including Sheikh Jarrah. A few years later, in 1956, Jordan relocated 28 Palestinian families who were displaced during Israel's War of Independence to Sheikh Jarrah. The United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees, often referred to by the acronym UNRWA, approved the move. The organization stipulated that the families would be granted ownership of their homes after three years, ending their refugee status. However, the Jordanian government never formally transferred the property rights to the Palestinians. I know it's hard to keep track, but let's sum up. By the 1950s, Sheikh Jarrah had changed hands many times, from Jewish rule 2,000 years ago to more recently, Ottoman rule, British rule, and Jordanian rule. By this time, the Jewish population had either completely moved out or been expelled, and a Palestinian population had moved in or had been relocated to the neighborhood. Enter 1967 and the Six-Day War. East Jerusalem, including Sheikh Jarrah, came under Israeli control. Since then, Israel has claimed authority over Sheikh Jarrah, while the international community considers the area occupied by Israel. East Jerusalem's Arab population has increased dramatically since 1967, growing from an estimated 44,000 in 1967 to about 328,000 in 2016. 
there are far fewer Jews than Arabs, in large part because the Jewish community was expelled from the area in 1948 and only began to return after 1967. In 2016, about 214,000 Jewish residents lived in East Jerusalem. And now let's get to today's legal debate. At its heart is a 1970 Israeli law that gives Jewish Israelis the right to reclaim East Jerusalem properties that Jews owned before 1948, as long as they show proof of ownership. Palestinians who lost their land following the war do not have the same legal right to reclaim it. Now, remember when we said that in 1875, the Sephardic Community Committee and the Ashkenazi Assembly bought the tomb of Shimon Hatzadik in the surrounding area? Well, now that detail is important. In 1972, almost 100 years after first purchasing the land, the Sephardic Community Committee used this new law to sue for ownership over a property in the neighborhood, and the court ruled in their favor in 1976. Then, in 1982, residents signed a legal agreement allowing them to remain in a Sheikh Jarrah property with two stipulations. Their status would change from owner to tenant, and they would pay rent. However, the Palestinian signers say they were coerced into signing and that they do not recognize the agreement. Jewish developers reportedly offered a similar deal to the families at the center of the current case, but the offer was turned down. Sheikh Jarrah began to make international headlines in the 2000s when Israeli courts ordered the evictions of three Palestinian families following a series of lawsuits. The last court-ordered evictions from the neighborhood were in 2009, but new cases have been making their way through the legal system. That's where we get to the current case that's making headlines. The legal case is complex, and in the show notes, we'll link to the documents that lay out its nuances. But a spokesman for the UN High Commissioner went so far as to say the potential evictions could amount to a war crime, issuing the following statement, quote, the implementation of these laws facilitates the transfer by Israel of its population into occupied East Jerusalem. The transfer of parts of an occupying power's civilian population into the territory that it occupies is prohibited under international humanitarian law and may amount to a war crime. War crime. That's a pretty strong accusation. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu responded in a televised statement, quote, Jerusalem is Israel's capital, and just as every nation builds in its capital and builds up its capital, we also have the right to build in Jerusalem and to build up Jerusalem. That is what we have done, and that is what we will continue to do, end quote. Jerusalem City Council member Yonatan Yosef, a Jewish resident of Sheikh Jarrah, captured the sentiment that many of the Jewish residents feel, telling the Times of Israel, quote, For me, history begins thousands of years ago when Shimon HaTzadik was buried there. Shimon HaTzadik was a Jewish neighborhood, is a Jewish neighborhood, and will stay Jewish, end quote. The European Union and the United States have both expressed concerns over the case and the rising tensions in the region, but have not come down on one legal side or the other. This past Sunday, the Israeli Supreme Court delayed its decision by a month, saying that it will honor a Palestinian request that Israel's attorney general weigh in on the issue. Ever since the last evictions in 2009, 
there have been steady protests by both Israeli and Palestinian activists over this issue. However, it had been fairly quiet for the last decade until recently, as tensions have reached a boiling point ahead of the expected Supreme Court ruling. Last week, Friday night worshippers leaving the Al-Aqsa Mosque chanted Bomb Tel Aviv and clashed with police, resulting in some of the city's worst violence in years. More than 200 Palestinians and 17 Israeli police officers were wounded. There are even more riots by Palestinians on Saturday night following evening prayers at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and hundreds more were injured. As this was happening, a senior Hamas official tweeted, quote, We salute the people of Al-Aqsa who oppose the arrogance of the Zionists, and we call on our people in Palestine to support their brothers by all means, end quote. This week, tensions have only gotten worse. On Monday morning, clashes continued on the Temple Mount after thousands of Palestinians gathered at the holy site while collecting rocks and other weapons. Over 300 Palestinians, as well as 21 police officers, were reportedly wounded in the subsequent clashes. And later, a Jewish-Israeli man survived after being attacked by a mob of Palestinians outside the Lion's Gate of the Old City. And as bad as all of that sounds, the violence has spread way beyond Jerusalem. Since Monday, which was also Jerusalem Day, Hamas has fired over 1,200 rockets towards Israel, targeting Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, and its surrounding areas, as well as a non-stop barrage of rockets at communities surrounding the Gaza Strip, including the cities of Sterot, Ashkelon, and Ashdod. I myself am currently recording this podcast a few steps away from my mamad, my bomb shelter, here in Israel. As of this recording, six Israelis have been killed by the rocket fire, including a soldier, an Israeli Arab father, and his 16-year-old daughter. Dozens more have been wounded. If it weren't for the Iron Dome, Israel's missile defense system, which has intercepted hundreds of rockets, the death toll would be far worse. The Israeli Air Force has been launching airstrikes against Hamas and Islamic Jihad targets in Gaza. At least 65 Palestinians have been killed in the airstrikes, including many top Hamas and Islamic Jihad commanders and operatives, and an unknown number of civilians. On top of the rocket fire, many young Arab Israelis have rioted across Israel, specifically in mixed Jewish-Arab cities like Lod, Ramle, and Akko, amongst others. In Lod, Arab-Israeli rioters burned down synagogues and threw stones at Jewish homes. The mayor of the city, Yair Vivo compared the riots to Kristallnacht, saying, quote, All of Israel should know, this is a complete loss of control. This is unthinkable. Synagogues are being burnt. Hundreds of cars set alight. Civil war has erupted in Lod. End quote. Prime Minister Netanyahu declared a state of emergency in the city, and large numbers of border police were deployed to restore calm to the city. Israeli media is also reporting Jewish rioters attacking Arab businesses in Bat Yam, a city in central Israel. Clearly, the history and the present of Sheikh Jarrah is complicated, and anyone who tries to claim otherwise is not taking all of the facts into account. This isn't a question of moral equivalence. We're not trying to show that the Palestinians are wrong and the Israelis are right, or vice versa. We at Unpacked are not political pundits and commentators. 
where educators and journalists who try to dig into complex stories and explain each one in a way that is deeper and more nuanced than how they are often presented. And here, we wanted to show how the complex history of a small neighborhood in East Jerusalem plays such an outsized role in this crisis. At a time when emotions and tensions are so high in Israel and for the Jewish people, we wanted to conclude with a poem by the famous Israeli poet Yehuda Michai, entitled simply, Jerusalem. On a roof in the old city, laundry hanging in the late afternoon sunlight, the white sheet of a woman who was my enemy, the towel of a man who was my enemy, to wipe off the sweat of his brow in the sky of the old city, a kite, at the other end of the string, a child. I can't see because of the wall. We have put up many flags. They have put up many flags to make us think that they're happy, to make them think that we're happy. Thanks for listening. This episode was hosted by me, Sarah Himmelis. And me, Avi Posen. This Week Unpacked is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Make sure you don't miss future episodes by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the podcast, rate and review us and share it with others. And we want to hear what you think. Email us at podcast at jewishunpacked.com. This episode was created by John Kunza with editing by Avi Posen and me, Sarah Himmelis, and audio engineered by Baruch Goldberg. Rifki Stern is our producer, and Noam Weissman is the executive producer of This Week Unpacked. Thanks for listening. See you next week.